Hello everyone and welcome to the University of Law podcast and to our Diversity Matters series. My name is Baron Madison and I am the staff for being an engagement partner and part of the Equality, Diversity, Inclusion team here at the University of Law. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Eva Pillory um, to discuss LGBTQ History Month. Eva, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Would you like to introduce yourself? Um, hello, my name is Eva Pillory. My pronouns are she, her and I am our university's LGBT rep. Thank you for inviting me onto the podcast. It's great. It's lovely to have you. Um, so, I mean, being a student and involved in LGBTQ plus representation is a great starting point for our first question, um, which is how do you feel um, that LGBTQ plus history is represented within the education sector? Um, so I think that universities promote LGBT history months quite well. Um, I think also just having roles such as LGBTQ plus reps in our universities a big help, especially since it's student-led, because it gives individuals opportunities to choose whether to approach staff members or classmates, given to what, given what's more comfortable for them. That's completely fair. I think having both options makes it a safer space, doesn't it? Definitely. Um, and it's it's really good. I think um, universities are definitely using their kind of platform as an education provider to share insights and, and experiences of and the history of our of our community, which is which is really good. For me, I find that it's important for universities to share upcoming days that commemorate LGBT history um, because it sheds light on past events, but it also informs people that might not know the uh, history behind everything. I think it's a great starting point for allies as well. No, absolutely. Allies, it's it's really good for that because it gives them the opportunity to engage with like mm-hmm. the education side and and to learn a bit more about the community as well. Like when I was at uni, um we we had like a really rich LGBT history. So like the student LGBT plus committee had like we, we did like a bit of a history dig and we found all of the archives on on all of the information that we had of where the committee had started and we found that it went all the way back to like the 1970s oh, wow. um and like loads of our members had been like at the forefront of campaigns and activism throughout that time so like um around like the age of consent around the hiv and aids epidemic um improving legal protections like it was really like amazing and like a great reflective experience because i was kind of sitting there like what are the what are the equivalent things that we're fighting for today and how can I get involved um and and it was yeah it was it was huge and I, I guess as well like thinking about like what's been in the news recently and and stuff like just outside of higher education the fact that we're including appropriate LGBT education at different levels of the curriculum is a really significant milestone in this country because um, it gives us so much better representation of LGBT history yeah, I agree. I think support from universities help create like a safer environment. It's more welcoming as well. Do you think there's enough knowledge about LGBTQ history? Do you think we could do more? Do you think um, that people are becoming more aware of it at all? Um, so I think that LGBT history is well represented in the higher education sector. However, when it comes to compulsory education, so primary to secondary school, I think there is a lack. Yeah. From my personal experience, we didn't have anything at all. And it wasn't until I reached sixth form yeah. that I became more aware as well. Um, so I think if there is like 
even small talks in compulsory education, it helps, I guess, the younger generation of queer kids as well. No, absolutely. And I was the same at school. Like there wasn't anything until we hit sixth form. And even then it was so like closely guarded guarded and like sheepish talking about it. And if anything, we were kind of like, because a lot of people had figured out their sexuality or their gender identity by then. And we were kind of like pushing a little bit to try and get more awareness mm-hmm. and acknowledgement and like teachers were quite like scared of doing it and like scared of talking about it but from what from what I've heard now like they've brought in some LGBT education in like PSHE and stuff in different levels so like it's almost reassuring to know that like future generations are getting that kind of representation that we didn't have as like younger queer people that were trying to navigate all of that so yeah I think it it's so so important um I think as well like um we're still dealing with the impacts of section 28 even though it was it's now like 25 years or 20 20 years since it was um repealed but that in terms of gagging teachers and gagging schools in what they could say and how they could support LGBT students was really really damaging and that was in that was in effect for like 25 years there's like 25 years worth of people that have been impacted by that and it kind of it didn't just stop people talking about it it stopped teachers stepping in when there was homophobia and when there was bullying and it allowed that kind of ignorance to grow um so yeah another another thing I think as well when we're talking about like knowledge of LGBTQ history is like social media like that can be such a good platform to promote stuff and I've I've learned so much about our community just from like meeting people through Twitter and Instagram and like finding shared interests there. But like the way that it can be a platform for misinformation and like really horrible debates is is concerning as well. And like you almost thinking about like education, we have to like almost challenge that misinformation now. So it's not just a case of like actually getting to educate people and talk about our history. It's like challenging all of the like stigma and lies and everything Mm -hmm. around it. So um yeah yeah so i i agree as well i think media um is good and bad i think uh, like these past 10 years there has been an improvement definitely like in like tv shows or books there's like much more representation as well Mm -hmm. um and i think like as the time progresses i think information and knowledge would just become more accessible to everyone yeah yeah, no, absolutely. There's, I think there's so much accessibility. Accessibility is really like key one because I'm thinking like, as a perhaps like a teenager, like figuring out like your sexuality or gender identity, like being able to access like information and learn about different things that have happened and and different identities is so so important because it it gives you that space to explore it before you potentially like come out, which I know we'll talk about a little bit later as well. Um, I think as well, like in this space, thinking about like, is there enough knowledge about LGBT history? Because because of the nature of it and because of like what we've been through as a community, there's quite a lot that is still uncovered and still needs to be discovered because back when it was crim like yeah, you know, it was a criminal offense to be gay or um, you know, there was huge, huge discrimination and sort of ostracization, like a lot of people had to hide that element of themselves. And so like when you're when you're looking for LGBT history and references and, and things that might sort of 
indicate that you know, about sexuality and gender identity, you have to really dig and you have to always look beneath the surface. You have to look for things that might have been destroyed or, or lost. Um, and it's it's such an ongoing thing. It's like as more people get to know it, like they're going to kind of discover more and more. And that's I, I love that that element of like it could be so exciting like there could still be so much history that we don't know about but it's also quite a sad thing that we've we've lost quite a lot of it as well um so yeah um do you have any comments on sort of why it's why it's important because i mean we both clearly really like lgbt history and we really like education we're quite passionate about it but for for some of the people listening what why would it be important for us to promote lgbt history um, so I think if people become more aware, then there is less chance of bullying uh, occurring as well and just discrimination in general. Absolutely, yeah. And education is so, so important from that perspective because it starts the conversation, doesn't it? Like mm -hmm. a lot of bullying, a lot of hatred comes out of like ignorance and fear and yeah, it's, it probably sounds quite deep, but like if we can start by educating and by talking about our history like it, it brings that human aspect to it of like we're all just people trying to exist and and not get not get persecuted basically um so yeah no there's there's that real kind of human element of it we get to challenge hate and discrimination i mean also it's just really interesting history like it's all of yeah. these kind of bits that we don't learn about at school necessarily um or you know, it's not at the forefront of like history and, and what we talk about so it's kind of like a whole world underneath that we get to discover as well um but yeah like if, i mean we've talked about lgbt in education in general but um thinking about like here at the university of law and, and potentially at other universities as well like do you feel like we can provide a safe environment at university and, and how does that differ, differ from other areas of society? Um, so I think our university does a great job, um, you know, for the use of societies, yeah. um, representation officers and just information shared. So we get emails of upcoming events or um, like days as well, um, which I know the asexuality days coming up next week yeah yeah so um i think they did a great job at that yeah no absolutely like societies and the the representation is is really it's really good and like as a staff member i've always felt welcomed and safe here um i mean i work with within the equality diversity inclusion team so i might have a bit of an ad advantage because i know all about like all of the work that we're doing in this area and that makes me feel really reassured and like We've got the staff networks um, they're really valuable and thinking like, you know, for, for students that are going into the workplace, like it, it would be really reassuring to know that like your employer has a staff network and has like a care for, for inclusion and diversity. Um, so, yeah, it, it, that's really nice. And thinking back to when I was a student as well, like it was such a such a period of like exploring yourself and like finding finding out a little bit more about you, being a bit more independent and having that student society, like where you could kind of come together and like meet people and run campaigns and like get involved in like all kinds of things across the university and sort of share your experiences like a, as a queer person or a member of the community. Like it really, it really gave me like that chance to develop into like a, a proud gay man, I guess, like 
um, and to learn more as well because I think there's always like a when you when you're part of the community you always feel like you know you almost know everything or like yeah. you think oh yeah like I know about that and then like when you get the chance to learn a bit more and to like see these insights into the history you're like I don't know anything but the more I learn the more I'm excited by it um and I also think that um with all the support that university gives us um it also helps people feel less isolated because I know sometimes you know if you need to reach out for help you don't know anyone yeah close to you so it's why that like promotion of it and like being visible is so important because when you're trying to reach out for help and you don't know where to go that's such a barrier in itself like so knowing that there's a really clear like representative or a society or that if you speak to a well-being advisor they're going to be supportive and inclusive and they're not going to judge you for any you know, for your sexuality or your gender identity like those are really important things to like promote and be proud of at, at ULaw so I think it's I think it's great here um but there's always it's always a journey I think like we, we can't get too complacent and be like yeah this is fine because like there's always more that we can do but We've got a really strong basis. So how do you think universities, workplaces and other organisations can create a safe environment for someone to be open about their identity? So from my, from my experience of like working in this kind of area, I think, and also lived experience of, of working at different organisations and see, going to university and seeing people's or the organisation attempts at like creating these safe environments, I think it's really important to take a considered approach sort of take your time with it and and make sure that every aspect is considered and also engaging with members of the community so if you're going for just an overall inclusive campus make sure that you have a diverse pool of students and staff to kind of engage with if you're looking specifically at at different communities then engage them in a in a way that make sure that they're kind of listened to and they get to feed into it um because there's so many different elements to create in that safe environment um you need visibility and representation as i mentioned before um you need those kind of spaces like staff networks and societies where people can connect and socialize with other members of the communities that they're part of um and sort of clear meaningful allyship as well i think is really important so even having representation at a top level is great as well but even just having staff that are allies and quite vocal and engage with those kind of areas is is really key so training and education um making commitments and acting on them like those are really really important um i think the other thing is like re reassurance as well and it's also the same from like a well-being perspective like you need to make it really clear that like discrimination or like inappropriate behavior isn't acceptable and that we have like a code of conduct for members of for example the university or the organization and also having like a clear and easy route to report concerns and issues around that and and reassuring people that you know there won't be negative repercussions because they've reported something and that it will be taken seriously so i mean those are just a few things off the top of my head and there's sort of different levels in them and I think trying to get all of them in and, and think about how you can perhaps even do like outreach and, and support causes related to those different communities is is something that you could even build into that just to have that really holistic approach. Kind of brings us on to like 
the the next question around when like allyship isn't so successful and and perhaps is a little bit superficial um or even performative some people have called some examples um do you have any examples of like performative allyship that you've seen or allyship that hasn't quite landed properly um i think maybe when people change stuff to a pride flag you know just for the Mm. like months of pride you know and um also just um they have just pride collections limited time only um i think it doesn't really show support the way they want to achieve it yeah particularly if it's like an organization that's selling something like it if it's just for the month Mm -hmm. it kind of and they're not clear about what they do outside of that month to support the community. It's suddenly kind of like, he just wanted my money. Are you like, he just yeah. kind of tried to take, take me for a fool a little bit. But like, yeah, it's definitely when it comes to the organizations, like if, again, it's that considered approach. It's like, yes, we're going to support during Pride Month. And we're going to be visible during Pride Month. But what do we do outside of that to keep that momentum going? And And how can we support change? And sometimes as well, like, some of those companies might have links and like investments in unethical things that mm-hmm. like directly conflict with that sort of pride statement. So like, I mean, very loosely off the top of my head, supporting the World Cup and, and funding that in a country that potentially you know, doesn't have the laws and protections for LGBT people, but then having a Pride Month campaign and saying that you support LGBT rights, there's like a little bit of disconnect there that can always be a challenge and I know that people are quite vocal about that and it 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 can get quite challenging for the the organizations and the people that are in those organizations that had good intentions but then feel a bit attacked for that um a little bit I mean thinking about university as well like back at back at my old university um they brought in rainbow lanyards for staff and um it it was just a way to show allyship like staff that um you know wanted to show that they were an ally could get a rainbow lanyard um but students took it to mean that those staff were sort of like special specially trained to like handle lgbt disclose like not disclosures but like support students that were lgbt if they came forward with like a a query about it and then when it kind of came out that that wasn't the case and it was just sort of a lanyard and actually people were approaching these staff and asking them for support and the staff weren't able to support them or, you know, turn them away because they weren't trained to do that. Um, there was a bit of backlash and we had to do some work to try and like make you know, make some training and give some support to the staff so that the lanyards had a bit more meaning to them. Um and I guess it's like that that layers thing of like you can have like visibility and representation and then you can think about like support and training and then sort of move it into those deeper levels of of allyship. Um, but yeah, I'm, I like to think of it a little bit as a journey because like a lot of the work that I do is about sort of improving support and improving inclusion and all of those kind of things. And I don't like to be too negative I like to think of it as sort of like right where are we now and how can we be even better allies how can we what can we do in the short term to do to to really support our staff and students how can we look to the long term for like goals because some things take ages to change and actually if we're working towards them like 
that's great but we need to be realistic about time frames and the other thing I think is as well like taking feedback on board so regardless of what you do as an ally there's probably going to be a time where you slip up a little bit or you're not perfect because we're all human but if you get that feedback and you kind of shut down and you kind of take away your allyship or withdraw then that's quite superficial whereas if you can actually use it to be an even better ally and sort of reflect and, and improve like that's amazing that's a that's a learning opportunity that's that's even better really um but yeah probably probably chatted for a bit too long now so um our next question is about coming out and as I'm sure you know you know there's a lot of focus around um coming out as quite an important event um but it's it's definitely not one a once in a lifetime experience so do you personally feel that you're coming out each time that you meet new individuals and do you feel like you're pressured into explaining your personal situation like what are your thoughts around coming out basically yeah so um I definitely agree that coming out isn't once in a lifetime um, there are many different ways you can come out as well. So like, you can tell your parents, but then at the same time, if you're walking down the street holding your partner's hand, you know, it's kind of, it's a heteronormative society. So automatically you are coming out. Um, I also found that at the beginning for me, it was a bit scary. But then over time, I became more confident in my identity. Yes. Yeah. No, I think very similar reflections for myself, like... I had I, I think it's important to say as well like the first time there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure around the first time but like depending on your circumstances and who you're coming out to like it can be just as nerve-wracking or significant like the 50th time you have to do it or or the first time or the first time might be really chill because it's with someone that you're really comfortable with and then there's a few more times where it's a bit more difficult um and because the response is so like dependent on the person you're coming out to like it's it's quite vulnerable and unique regardless because you're always there's always a little bit of you that's like how are they going to react what how am I going to handle this situation um but I think with time and like when you have the support around you as well for a long time you kind of you feel much more confident and you know that actually even if you do have a bad experience or a, an awkward experience with coming out to someone it's it's not going to define you and it's not the end of the world because there's lots of support available and there's lots of support around you hopefully um as well I was when I came out I was so I knew that I had like a really supportive family like I already knew they'd be fine with it and I kind of I thought it was a bit annoying really to be honest I was a bit kind of rebellious about it because I just felt like why should I have to come out like it shouldn't really be an issue like if I bring a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner home like it, it won't matter and it shouldn't matter so the only time it really matters is when I date someone so I was kind of quite clear that I didn't really want to go through like a a coming out process of having like a big statement when actually I wasn't dating anyone and I, I wanted to wait and then it turned out that I didn't date anyone for like two years so you know took, took its time anyway everyone was kind of like well we kind of guessed already but um yeah it's nowadays like I'm very comfortable and like I'm I think I'm very lucky in my experience that like I can be that comfortable um but yeah coming out is it's it's exciting as well it does feel like a weight off your shoulders sometimes because you're walking 
you, you get to show your true self as well. So as it's LGBT History Month, what would you say are some of the key milestones in UK LGBT history? Yeah, so sometimes when we think about LGBT history, we have quite an American view of it. So we think about the Stonewall, Stonewall riots in 1969. But in the UK, the the landscape was a little bit different and, and the campaigning was a little bit more focused around laws and protections and um there was there's a lot of activism around sort of the issues affecting um the lgbt community at the time so um some key milestones would be things like the decriminalization of homosexuality in 1967 um so that was only in england and wales initially so again with the uk you've then got um devolution which means that um scotland and northern ireland sometimes don't bring in these laws until a little bit later so there's a little bit of a difference there um but then also at this point the age of consent was still higher than for straight couples. So there was a lot of campaigning around reducing the age of consent to have equality um, between all sorts of sexualities. Um, and this this took quite a few years. This wasn't until sort of 2000 that they were able to get this. So that's what, like 30 something years afterwards. Um, I mean, even thinking about some of the protections and the things that we might take for granted now so like marriage and civil partnership and things like that um we we didn't get equal marriage until 2013 so that's only 10 years and and civil partnerships came in in 2004 so we've only really had those for for sort of 20 years and actually that's, that's not that long at all um and when we think about sort of trans transgender rights um as well um the Gender Recognition Act was only brought in in 2004 as well. So that meant that meant that trans people could legally change their gender. But before that, there wasn't any sort of legal support for them um, in that sense. Um, I mean, we've, we've got legislation now as well that protects from discrimination. So that was in 2010. And that was quite a big thing because that meant that we had a real clear approach to, to dealing with um, protection against any uh, protected characteristic but including being part of the lgbt community um but despite all of that as well um we did have back steps and one of the biggest sort of one of the biggest parts of uk lgbt history i think is is section 28 so um this was essentially a, a, a an act that meant that local authorities and schools were restricted from promoting homosexuality. Um, it's brought in in 1998 and it wasn't um, abolished until 2003. Um, and basically what that meant was teachers and people that sort of supported children as they grew up weren't allowed to acknowledge or, or even represent LGBT identities in any kind of way. Um, and they were threatened with disciplinary action if they did discuss this. So um, what this led to wasn't just that people didn't get educated on on LGBT issues and, and history, um, but actually it meant that when kids were being bullied for being gay or being LGBT, students, uh, teachers couldn't step in and teachers often just ignored it because they were scared of the repercussions of of supporting um lgbt that people there um so it had a really really bad effect and it meant that actually a lot of that hatred and that misinformation spread um because nobody was challenging it um, and nobody was getting educated on on the realities of just being lgbt and the human side of it that i think we talked about as well um this was also at the time when 
there was the the, you know, the AIDS epidemic was starting was still continuing and it was still affecting our community and actually education was really really important to sort of tackle that issue um so yeah it it was really really harmful and it was it was law for 25 years so you know it's affected generations of people and actually we're we're now seeing that you know education is in schools for on these kind of topics which is really really positive but it takes a lot of time to sort of undo some of the the impacts of that that we we can still see today where people have you know discriminatory views perhaps or you know have misinformation that leads them to feel very different from lgbt communities so yeah there's there's a lot of milestones and there's some really interesting history i mean there's allegiances between um the lgbt community and the unions during like worker strikes that was a very historic and important moment um back during the minor strikes in in the 70s and 80s um and there's there's also sort of the, the the campaigning that happened globally around the HIV and AIDS epidemic. So sort of trying to get more acknowledgement and support and research from the government to try and tackle that, um, which unfortunately took quite a long time because um, there were a lot of governments that didn't want to engage with it. Um, but if you if you look into the history, a lot of museums now do like sort of um exhibitions on on the the rich history that we have and the the history of campaigning and it's it's so so interesting i have to say um and it's so important to learn as well because we can see that for all the progress we make there's still very much a possibility that we could slip back and we could lose rights or people could bring in legislation that impacts us and mm -hmm. and that harms us so it's really important to keep that in the forefront of our mind as we try and make progress and move forward Thank you so much for joining us, Eva. It has been lovely chatting to you. Um, and yeah, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for inviting me.